Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 15, and we'll be there in a moment. I am going to begin, uh, I think, a three or four part series on a very familiar story out of Luke chapter 15. And I'll, I'll be there in just a moment, but I want to lend some context. The Lord Jesus Christ um, is probably um, a little over three years into His earthly ministry. Earlier text tells us that He is now resolutely on His way to the cross. He's determined to go fulfill that purpose for which God has called Him to do, and that is to die for humanity's sins on the cross so He can be our Redeemer, so we can be reconciled to God, so He can impute His righteousness to us. And of course, on the Christ, He receives our imputed unrighteousness. And it is an incredible legal transaction that God does for us. He has been proclaiming the gospel, or that He is God and He is the Savior, the singular source of salvation available to mankind. Many people received Him gladly. Some did not. Ironically, those who did not receive Him were considered the religious of that day. They were the uh, Jewish elite. We, we call them Pharisees. Some were Sadducees, two different religious sects. One believed in a resurrection, one did not. Another group of people there were the scribes. And these were the recorder of the Hebrew text. And they often became critics of the Word of God. And in, in these religious leaders, they just were all messed up. They made little things big. They made big things little. And, and they were missing God completely. And they were missing His heart. And so this is one of Jesus' final attempts to try to help these men particularly, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, to see themselves at odds with God, at enmity with His purpose. And so doing, He tells a wonderful story of redemption, but the primary goal here is to help, well, help sinners see themselves. And not just all the down and out, but even those who were evil who did not know they were. And so I'm going to take some time to read the larger context. So if you can't remain standing the whole time, I understand. But let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to read most of the chapter because chapter 15 of Luke's gospel has a theme. It is repetitive. And so what we see is two stories that are the same, a third that is the same, but it has an add-on to it. It has this new tag where Jesus wants the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes to see themselves. And of course, unfortunately, many do not. Luke chapter 15, verse number 1, and a tale of two sons. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. The word murmuring here means to gripe against or to persuade others against. So they're not just like murmuring. They are trying to convince people who are in Jesus' audience not to follow Him. They are protagonists to what Jesus is trying to accomplish in their hearts. Verse 3, And He spake this parable unto them, Jesus, saying, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one, of them doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which was lost till he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders 
And I want you to see this word because it is the theme, rejoicing. A man loses a sheep, he finds it, and then what does he do? Say it. He rejoices. And when he cometh home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, again the word, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise, this is a parable or a simile, joy, again the theme, shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Okay, these guys aren't getting it. He continues. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, and she says, Rejoice! The same theme again with me, for I have found the piece which was lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Something valuable lost, something valuable found, and rejoicing. And the story is pressed yet further, this time more colorfully. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And by the way, the word prodigal does not necessarily mean just wayward. It means wasteful. This is the wasted son, a son wasting his life in this riotous living. And when he had spent all, verse 14, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, the far country, the wayward country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Not the party he had imagined. And who had fain filled his belly with the husks that swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, repentance, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. He had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in thy sight I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and here is the return of the theme, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again, and he was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Now here's where the story really diverges, and the spotlight shines upon the group that Jesus intended. Now this elder son, He's a representative of the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Thy brother has come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he received him safe and sound. 
And the response here should have been the theme of joy, but the text says in verse 28, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, and neither transgressed I at any time in thy commandment, which by the way was untrue. He was not perfect. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, the tone of accusation, was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it was meet, it was necessary that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask, Lord, in this hour that you would use this story, Lord, to speak to our hearts. It was told not to entertain, but Lord, to instruct and to admonish. Lord, it is a mirror. It is a window to see through. And Lord, not just, just to see other people and their behavior, but Lord, to reflect upon our own. And I pray you'd help us with this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. Well, this morning I am going to begin a short series on what we commonly call the, the parable, parable of the prodigal son. I've been reading through this story and others in my personal reading and I felt some compulsion to take some time and share some thoughts from Luke's most widely known story with you. I think most people today, even in contemporary popular culture, have some understanding. They, they probably could tell this story in some part. They may be largely biblically illiterate. And yet, if you mention the story of the prodigal son, Maybe like the story of David and Goliath, the world would understand it. Even some 2,000 years later, they would still understand this story. Its themes and its language are deeply ingrained in our spiritual and cultural and literary identity. Shakespeare borrowed plot points and motifs from the story, and he adopted them in many of his writings Great writers, playwrights, and artists have used elements from the story to write, to produce. They've made ballets, operas, and even contemporary music retells the story of the prodigal sons. The world's greatest art museums are well stocked with works featuring scenes and imagery from this iconic story of the prodigal. Rembrandt, Rubens, Durer, and many others have created invaluable pieces of art, finding inspiration, as many of us do, from the story. Today, contemporary language is still uh, filled with numbers of words and phrases that were first heard in this story. Um, Speaking of wayward children, today we still often refer to them as 
prodigal. Um, this was a phrase used uh, certainly in other, earlier dec uh, um, decades, but the idea of killing the fatted calf uh, was referring to celebratory events. Feeding on husks was a phrase often used on consuming empty things. Riotous living was referring to dissolute and extravagant hedonistic lifestyle. Two millennia have passed. Um, an ocean has been crossed, a language barrier overcome, cultural uh, identity, something completely different than Eastern culture, and we still know, understand, and sometimes identify with these phrases. All of Jesus' parables um, were unique, but this one is different. This is by far the most colorful. It has the most detailed layers upon it. Um, maybe the story of the Good Samaritan would come close, but this one is far more emotive. It's a story that has powerful emotional elements attached to it. It's relatable to all of us. It's dramatic in its plot twists and turns. It covers a broad range of feelings. It, it speaks of sadness, emptiness, hurt, triumph, anger, love, empathy, resentment. And in the end, an unsettling feeling that the story's not finished, that it's not complete. Its characters are relatable. And they're familiar to us, and they should be. Every one of us here today, if you looked carefully, could see an element or a character in the story that you reflect. And that's exactly what Jesus intended. Let me ask, how many here today can or could have identified with the prodigal. Anyone here ever wasted part of your life? How many people here have felt the poignant pain of having a wayward child? How many know grief and hurt Disillusionment over relationships gone bad. Who can identify with the joy of relationships restored? Who here knows the relief of being forgiven by someone? And who here has found the grace to forgive someone who has done wrong? Some here, if we were honest, can relate to the elder brother's resentment. Um, we know what perceived slight feels like. Favoritism that we think is unjust. The feeling that you have been treated unfairly. You have been confused by others receiving what you felt you were most more justly owed. Let me ask you upon sincere reflection, and I, I, let me just back up for a moment. The idea of being prodigal, wayward, wasting time, I think is something 
every person and even most Christians can relate to. Again, the word doesn't just imply, you know, we start with riotous living, rebellious from parents or good and right. But the bigger idea of prodigal, you can look it up, it means wasted. Someone giving something precious, an inheritance of a father and abusing it, wasting it. Not taking the gifts, the heritage, the goodness that you have been given and doing something productive with it. That's prodigal. Many of us have traveled in the wrong direction for a time in our lives. We have wasted time and energy needlessly and perhaps consequentially. Traveling in the wrong direction, not living for God, and before we knew it, we wound up in the far country where the life there takes far more than it gives. Teens today can be prodigal. People married together or separate can live prodigal lives. Even the older among us, if we're not careful, can drift off course and stop living for the Lord as we should. We can allow misplaced priorities and greed, resentment and bitterness, worry, doubt, confusion, arrogance and pride to take us down the road to the far country. We've probably visited there more often than we might want to admit. Far from home, far from good, and even if in place here, perhaps far from the Father's heart. We know that place. Empty, husks, people who may party with you, but they're not true friends. where we surrendered more than we gained. But the story is also relatable and encouraging because there's hope in it. It's part of the narrative, there's hope. We see love, we see grace extended to someone who the text goes to great lengths to express was undeserved by human standards. Um, part of the reason this story is so descriptive is because to the, the Jewish audience to whom it was spoken, as this, if they heard about a young man asking for an inheritance and then spending it in such a way, this would have been anathema to him. Jesus was, was proving this point in their minds that this, this, this young man was so undeserved. And so that makes the father's behavior later so surprising. They could relate to the elder brother, but what God did was like, what? Hence all the color of the story. We love the story because the prodigal comes to himself. At least one of them does. Realizing the vanity of his choices and the cruelty of life apart from a father's heart. There's a part of this story that makes us believe that there's still hope for people. That there's still hope for me. There's still hope for you. There's hope for children or parents or anyone who could be prodigal. That in time, insolence, rebellion can be discovered in one's own heart and in others, and that they will turn from that. They can find forgiveness in a life that is full at the Father's side. 
that wounds can be healed and joy can be discovered if people would just turn, do right, and come back to God. Unfortunately, because of our fallen natures and sometimes misplaced tendency to try to merit God's favor and love and goodness, so many new Christians fall into this trap. They get excited about serving God and all of a sudden their life becomes about the, the do's and the don'ts. And in, in attempting to do that, they look upon everybody else who's not doing and don'ting like they are. And they, see con and they heap condemnation upon them instead of loving them. They were one of them once upon a time. We can become judgmental as God's people, condemning the cold heart of the elder brother contrasts starkly in the story with the father's heart. With this repetitive theme, something's lost and is found, be happy. Something's lost and is found, rejoice. Something's lost and is found, and I don't like it. The theme of Luke's chapter is the joy of finding lost things. Joy over finding a lost coin of all things. The joy of finding a lost sheep and joy over finding a lost son. These are the central message of Luke. Heaven rejoices when a sinner comes home. God's, God applauds when you find him. When you recognize your distant, hard, insolent heart and repent. When you realize finding and coming to Jesus isn't merit-based, but you're saved by grace through faith. And when this happened, God rejoices, angels rejoice, people rejoice. At least we should. At its center and core, its primary intent, this parable is to provide a loud and urgent entreaty and rebuke to those who are like the elder brother. To the hard-hearted listeners that were in Jesus' audience. There were two groups of sinners there, not just one. The text says, you know, publicans, sinners, and, and they would say so. But, but over here on the other side were also lost sinners who were Pharisees and scribes. And they did not know they were lost and apart from God. This story is meant to be a powerful wake-up call to those like this religious elite, the self-righteous religious leaders who thought forgiveness had to be merited. And by the way, how wrong are we when we make people merit forgiveness? And that sinners were to be hated, which was contrary to the fact that while we're yet sinners, God, Jesus died for us. He loved us. For those who distort the grace of God to mean something that it is not. That's what the parable's about. Just a reminder, parable. Prefix para means alongside. A parable is simply a simile, a, a metaphor. It, it's like, hey, something is like this something. 
It's a story that comes alongside a truth for the telling of the story that Jesus wants you to see. I've often said a parable is like a mirror. You're supposed to look into it and see yourself. It's like a window you look through to see a truth that you otherwise would not see because of the highlight of the window or the story. Many people make the mistake of scrutinizing a parable for all kinds of meaning. A parable is not an allegory. An allegory is a story told where every part has a hidden meaning. That is not a parable. A parable has a singular truth like a dart or an arrow that points in a direction and any, um, any other color there is meant to highlight that singular truth. There's no secret in the story. There's no deep mystery or symbolism. It's rather a simple literary device that intends to highlight a truth. Sinners who respond to God's grace are freely received by Him, though unmerited, and God's happy about it. No strings attached. The reason the parable is told was not so much for the sinner's sake in the story, although they can benefit from it, but to expose the hard-hearted response of the Pharisees and their misguided notion of God's grace. The story includes um, wrongdoers, repentance, forgiveness, and joy, but it was meant most of all to cast light on the fact that the Pharisees' faith was no faith at all. It was vain religion. That what they thought was right did not align with God's heart. The richest of detail and the extraordinary Life that is portrayed here is given to add layers of meaning to the singular truth, not to complicate the story. As a, as a whole, Luke 15 is conveying that theme that heaven finds joy when lost things, people, souls are found. The prodigal represents the sinner who is all of us. The father, of course, is the heavenly father who forgives. The elder brother represents the evil hypocrisy that Jesus was exposing, especially he was on his way to the cross, and he wanted out of love to see these men turn their hearts to him. The parable's intent was for its audience to see itself. That's what all the Word of God is about. It's a mirror. There were sinners in mass of the story as Jesus told it. Some of the audience were condemning him. They were trying to pull people away from Jesus. There are some there who are eagerly listening. Jesus' heart, he's telling the story. His heart's motivated by love. He loves everyone across the spectrum. But sometimes, you know, real love has to be brutally honest. I love you, but here's the truth. That's what he was doing for the Pharisees' sake. He loved them, but oh, how he despised their religion, their hypocrisy, their selfishness, their self-deception. He was laying it bare. You should be rejoicing, and you're trying to turn people away from me. The spotlight was on their hearts, and they were doing nothing with it. You know, when we listen to preaching, when you read the Bible, it's not primarily about education. It can be. It's not primarily academic. It's not so you can fill a notebook with notes. I'm not against it. But if you can read a story, walk away from it, and not see any application for you, you've missed the point. This is a great story. 
Not for somebody else. It's a story for you. The story is told so that you and me can see ourselves in it and find alignment with God. In the story of the prodigal sons, we see one who left his father's home. We see another who left his father's heart. There's a mirror here, reflection for every single one of us. And that's why we love this story, and it's why we, if we're not careful, could avoid it. Um, for some here today, I, I, I hope for the majority of us, this parable is a reminder of who we are and what, and what God has done for us. All of us were lost. And if you're saved today, you have been found. And you ought to never grow uninspired by that. Ephesians 2.8, for we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It's what the Father provided for the wayward son. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. That's the intent. It's a reminder that every single person in this room has been a prodigal. On either side of the spectrum. And that though um, we were that because the Holy Ghost worked in our heart, because the truth of God's Word proclaimed and or read, you recognized yourself as that sinner and you ran to God and here's the mystery and the wonder He received you. Based on Jesus' merit, not yours. It's a reminder to me that I'm one of those people who have been forgiven much. Amen. And therefore, I probably should love much. It's a reminder that the wages of sin are hard and cruel and destructive. It does nothing but still kill and destroy. If not, the, if not the property around me, the heart inside of me. But God's grace saves, it rescues, it redeems. It makes a person a son and an heir of Christ. You can't see it today. But I wear a royal ring. I have a robe of righteousness about me. I have shoes given to me by Jesus Christ. And if you know him, you wear those things too. It's a reminder to me that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The story is also a reminder, and please listen, that neither show of religion nor the pretense of respectability is a valid substitute for redemptive grace. You understand that? No matter how, high you, how hard you try to look good, maybe even act good, that religion is no substitute for having grace in your heart. 
being more religious than other people means nothing. Having a relationship with God does. And if that redemptive relationship is an impetus for you to be more like Him, then that is what you should do. God help us that we always maintain that understanding, that we always have a love for others, that we reject all arrogance, self-sufficiency, and condemnation of others, that we do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, that we never fail to extend love, kindness, and grace to others, despite the, way, the fact they may not merit it, May we never fail to reach out to others as the father did to the prodigal. Today you may be the sinner who needs to come home. You may be the wayward son who's taken life and God's goodness for granted. Maybe you bought the lie that there's something in the far off world that's worth having. It's true, Jesus was a friend of sinners. But he was a true friend. His overtures to sinners were always in the context of seeking their salvation, offering his grace, extending his forgiveness. He healed them. He loved them. He helped them. He cleansed them. He released them from their guilt and shame. If your context and relationship with sinners is something different than that, then you too may be in the far country. And I would tell you that is dangerous. And I see here a side note. Um, the first few verses say that um, the Pharisees and scribes were murmuring against Jesus. You know, you can do that actively and you can do that passively. Here's what I mean. God help any single one of us if the way we live, what we say, or what we do hinders or prevents anyone else from living for God to their fullest. That's why Jesus had such contempt for the behavior of the Pharisees. They weren't going to heaven and they were trying to make sure no one else went with them. I want to say to you, the faraway country offers nothing. It's empty. It will take from you and not give. Today, maybe you need a fresh reminder of just how God, how good God has been to you. Because He loves you. If that's you, don't lose your joy. Don't quit rejoicing. And rejoice with others. Today, if your heart is contrary to God, if you lost your joy, if resentment plays a larger role in your life than it should, if bitterness, unforgiveness is in your soul, you are at odds with God. In some way, you're like the elder brother, and that needs to be purged. It serves no purpose but to destroy. You're missing out. You're missing out on the right kind of party that was happening inside the house. This morning, Jesus told a story for a response. I, I do not want us to come in here, sing the songs, 
listen to preaching, and then walk out the door and have never done business with God. The difference between preaching and teaching is that preaching asks for a response. And Jesus does too. Just listening is not the intent. But to see yourself and do something about it. So I want to ask you to stand with me this morning if you would.